for the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. Hello and welcome to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee's podcast focused on empowering student journalists and educating the greater community about their rights. My name is Trip Robbins. I'm a member of SPRC and I teach at Menlo School in California, where I advise three student media publications. Our goal for each episode of this podcast is to highlight a specific aspect of scholastic press freedom and then bring you an interview related to that topic. Today we're gonna look at a legal case around student expression that the US Supreme Court is gonna be reviewing this year. The case involves a 10th grade girl, Snapchat, the F-bomb, cheerleading, and school. It raises some interesting questions about student expression and social media, and it may have implications for student journalists as well. To discuss these issues, I'm talking with First Amendment lawyer and professor Jim Wagstaff. Thanks for joining us for the podcast, Jim. Can you tell us a little about your work? I've spent my entire career representing the media and occasionally people suing the media for First Amendment related claims, defamation, privacy, and other such matters. I have had the great good fortune of teaching First Amendment law at San Francisco State for over 30 years to college journalism students. And I've uh, written a great deal on the First Amendment and understand that it's often about rights in conflict. Rights in conflict. That's a great way to look at free expression issues. And the free expression case we're looking at is known as BLV Mahanoy Area School District. Could you give me a summary of the case? So the plaintiff in the case was a sophomore in high school who was, had been a cheerleader since she was in in the fifth grade. She cared a lot about cheerleading. She goes to Mahanoy High School and she tries out for the cheerleading squad as a freshman and she doesn't make the varsity. She makes only, only the JV. And then her sophomore year where she hoped to make the varsity, she also made only the JV. And she was upset not only because of that, but because there was a freshman who made the varsity. And so this is what caused her to be very upset and anxious about the situation and mad. And so, as we know, not on campus, but on a Saturday with a friend, she does, she does a Snapchat post. And we know Snapchat doesn't last a long time, but in a school environment, that could be just a few minutes or seconds and someone captures it, they did here. And so she, while at a store, not on campus, and with flipping the bird with her friend on the screen with a superimposed, she decides to post her feelings, which are F, the, F school, F softball, F cheer, F everything. And it follows up with an, a, a, sort of an upside down smiley face in a second post that says, basically, she's really upset this freshman got on the team and it's not fair. And she's mad at, at the unfairness of what went on. And she did so in a very profane manner and rather than it just disappearing into the ether, 
someone on the team who was upset about her post took a picture of it and showed it to the coach. And now the coach says that's not acceptable. And as a result of some of the school policies against profanity, school policies uh, requiring respect, and some policies she agreed to when she joined the team that she wasn't going to, to use a young person's word, diss the cheerleaders and diss the school. Uh, they said, listen, we're concerned that there's this, this great reaction coming on. You're off the team for the year. You can reapply next year, your junior year. And then some lawyers got involved and it became a First Amendment case filed in Pennsylvania. Yeah, thanks. Okay, a lot of interesting little components to that. Um, one of them is the fact that she had signed or agreed to some sort of honor code or behavior code. That there are two things going on. There was a team rule for the, for the cheerleaders that she'd agreed to. And that team rule was to show respect for people in the cheerleading team, to avoid foul language and improper gestures, and to avoid posting things that were negative about the cheerleaders or the cheerleader, the cheerleader coaches. In addition, the school had a general rule for athletes and cheerleaders that they were basically not to say or do things that tarnish the school. So these were the kind of the general prohibitions. And one of the issues in the case is whether by agreeing to that, she had waived her rights, even if she had rights. And that uh, doesn't look like it's gonna be one of the issues the Supreme Court deals with, but they might, they might by background say, Let's not let's not cry for this young woman. She agreed to to refrain from doing the very things she did, such as using an obscene gesture, engaging in profanity, and and attacking her teammates, and as as they perceived it. Yeah, and there's some ambiguity there that she didn't name the school, right? School um, was not named. She didn't name any individuals or even the team. She didn't even say. I mean, it was F cheer in the abstract, um, but you know, in the context, it, it clearly, well, I think a reasonable person could conclude that she was talking about her school and her cheer team. Now, I'm a trial lawyer <clears throat> and I know what I can prove and what I can't prove. And in this case, uh, uh, I know it when I see it. And in this case, it was clear from her two posts together and the fact that many of the recipients of her, of her snap chat were, were people on her team and people in her school uh, that she was talking about her dissatisfaction with the way she felt she was treated by not making the varsity squad. And, uh, and she was reacting, albeit in a very short-term communication. This was, it's an interesting issue that this was not something, even a Facebook post or a blog, as we see in so many student free press and free speech cases. This was something that was gonna last uh, longer than a than a snowflake on a windshield on a warm day, but not much longer. Yeah. But long. But having anybody who's been in the high school world knows, and I raised four teenagers, so I know. My wife and I did. Uh, if it gets out there, it stays out there. It doesn't have to be out there very long for somebody to take a to take a to download it, to take a picture of it, to show it. So what happened here was entirely foreseeable. One of the pivotal points, if I understand right, is that. This wasn't on school grounds. It wasn't a school paper or anything like that. It was completely independent of the school on her free time. And it's, it's not, a, it's not a, um, a, a free press question in itself, um, right? 
Well, it's not expression. The Supreme Court's opinion may well have a very strong impact on what we used to call underground newspapers uh, uh, or off-campus newspapers or non-school funded. But you're absolutely right. It's important in this case. It's in fact the the most important fact in the case that it was off-campus. It was not school-sponsored. It was not. There was no official imprimatur of the school. It was a school publication. It wasn't a public or public forum. This was her own Snapchat that happened to have lots of students who were recipients of that Snapchat, but it was not a school-sponsored activity. It was what what the Third Circuit called off-campus. Now, in the COVID world, I guess we've got to think twice about what the word off-campus means, and that's not going to be lost on this court, uh, which is in a world where students are communicating and now going to school off the school grounds themselves, beyond the schoolhouse gate, as they say, ah. uh, what are we going to be doing and how do we, this case is all about student communication in a modern world of communication. Great. By the way, Trip, being decided by people who have an average age of about 70. Yeah. So I would expect that that court will be looking at some of the major cases that we study in student journalism and student expression, um, what should, what do you think are the major ones they'll be talking about? We are not without precedent in understanding the rights of students, speakers, and communicators. The Supreme Court of the United States in 1968, in the height of the Vietnam War, in the Tinker versus Des Moines case, addressed the issue of what to do about students who wore black armbands in protest of the Vietnam War. And the Supreme Court held that you do not shed your constitutional rights to free speech when you go through the schoolhouse gates. But as they say, those gates might be like a metal detector because the Supreme Court said, if on the other hand, the school can show material and substantial disruption of the way you run a school, speech that might be allowed in the community might not be allowed in the school. There the court held there was insufficient evidence of material and substantial disruption. But it's not just that, because the Supreme Court went on in the Bethel case to say, when someone, when a high school student at a school assembly, again on campus, gave a speech that was, oh, had sexual innuendo, I'm gonna nominate this guy for vice president because he's firm in his pants, that kind of tittering that high school kids get. And the Supreme Court said, it's not a question of disruption. It's a question of, does the school have the right to to, um, insist on civility? To, to avoid uh, vulgarity. And the Supreme Court said, yes, we're gonna give deference to the school to, to do its job as educators, even though it was a pretty innocuous, silly speech. Then the Supreme Court then took up the Hazelwood case and said, what if it's a school newspaper that's sponsored by the school and the kids wanna have some pretty controversial articles about controversial topics such as, such as abortion or privacy rights or, or things of that nature. Right? Yeah. And the, and, and the Supreme Court said, if the school has a proper pedagogical purpose, I may say uh, schools, newspaper providers clearly can correct grammatical errors. They can insist there be no defamation. But because particularly the high school level, does the First Amendment prevent the school from doing so? And the Supreme Court said no. The states like California are free to have greater protections for students, as we do in our education code. But lastly, and not insignificantly, the, the, the Morse versus Frederick case, where the high school students decided they wanted to be on TV when they were on a, 
and it was a school day, but they let him out of school, but there was a school day. And as the Olympic torch went by and these kids held up that sign that said bong hits for Jesus, which to this day, I don't quite know their message, but bong hits for Jesus. The Supreme Court said those students could be punished because the school has a special interest in stopping speech or punishing speech that promotes drug use, a very serious deal. So when you add all those together, we've got four cases where the court has said the school has a good deal of discretion to try and maintain some control and teaching if the speech is on school grounds or sponsored by the school, such as an extracurricular activity. We've got something completely different here, don't we? Now we have school speech in theory, but it's off campus, perhaps about school activities. Great. Okay. So the third circuit court, can you give me their summary? Because you can probably sure. say it better than I can. So the, the, the lower court concludes that this was a violation of the student's free speech rights. It goes to the third circuit. And the third circuit says, is there a difference between speech that's off campus in which the disruption is at most secondary and, and not it disrupting particular uh, school activities or classes. And although there's vulgarity, it's vulgarity off campus by a student express themselves, should that make a difference? And the, Supreme, and the Third Circuit said it makes a big difference that if it does not involve actual disruption of the school, it does not involve illegal activity, it does not involve these other things these cases were going through, such as uh, on-campus incivility. The Third Circuit says the students have the same rights as members of the general community. That is, as long as it's not a threat or illegal defamation or something that's otherwise illegal, like members of the community have restrictions, it's protected. And the Supreme Court took that case and the brief of the of the school district to the Supreme Court to convince them to take it was, this is a outlier case. The circuits that have decided these cases before have taken into account that speech that's off campus, that however might reasonably and foreseeably affect campus or be about campus activities, the school has a continuing right and perhaps obligation to try and control and restrain that speech. And the Supreme Court has been confronted with a point of, is the Third Circuit a renegade? Okay. Let's go on to another aspect. The concept of signing away your rights, that by, you know, the football team has a honor clause that you have to sign that says, I won't do X, Y, and Z. Um, what are your thoughts on those, the legality of those or constitutionality? Okay. So first of all, the First Amendment has less expansive protection for extracurricular activities, not because it's purely a privilege, but it's, it's also not a right. And therefore, there can be conditions placed upon participating in extracurricular activities, mm -hmm. such as cheerleading in this case. That being said, the Third Circuit rejected the waiver theory when this, this, young, this young woman uh, agreed to uh, not engage in profane speech or disrespectful speech, or for that matter, use inappropriate gestures uh, by agreeing to that policy. And the, but the Third Circuit said, 
that was not a fair bargain. You, you, you can't be required to give up your rights just because you're, you're joining an organization. And so I, um, the Supreme Court in granting certiorari does not seem to be focused on issue. They seem to be focused on whether the tinker material disruption test can be applied off campus when the speech might have an impact on campus. Uh, so it doesn't look like they're gonna worry about the waiver. But to answer your question, uh, I do believe that you can have people join clubs and agree to certain rules of that club. But if it's a generally available activity to condition the joining of that activity on giving up legitimate free speech rights strikes me as unconstitutional. Hmm. Okay. So I didn't know that about extracurriculars being a little different. Um, there's a fair number. There's a quite a bit of lower court case law, particularly circuits, not the Supreme Court, in which it's talked about that the school has its general its general mission, which is to educate and therefore can have pedagogical purposes that might restrict speech. It has, it has the, the mission to maintain order and discipline and protection and safety. But if someone chooses to be on a team, for example, you could require the team to wear a tying coat, which is you might not be able to require in First Amendment grounds, general students to wear a tying coat. You certainly could require them to say you're not gonna you're not gonna have a a a, a mutiny against the coach, or uh, you're not gonna engage if you're gonna give an interview on behalf of, a, of the football team. You're gonna agree you're not gonna use profanity in that interview. Those are probably uh, limitations on speech that uh, might not hold true against the whole student community, but would on extracurricular activities. Hmm. That's really in this case. This case here, Mahanoy is a case that of course, involves an extracurricular activity. So the court might draw that line, but I doubt they'll be uh, so, uh, so narrow. So if a school has, a public school has a extracurricular journalism program, are they gonna have less press rights than a curricular journalism program? No, and that's not because of Hazelwood. That's because Cal in California, in California, we've decided, we've made a decision to the legislature to give more protection to, to school-based publications and communications than, than the Constitution requires. I know in California that's true, but my friends in Michigan and Florida and Louisiana? Almost no state follows California's rule. California's got the most protective. Uh, in most states, it's these very cases we're talking about. Remember, this whole area, the courts, generally speaking, have given deference to school administrators to run their schools. And so you see a lot of court cases, including the Supreme Court, that say, not our job to, to micromanage what schools teach. So schools, if they can rationalize a proper pedagogical purpose, there's been generally a great deal of deference from courts with respect to those, those rights. So Tinker, in 1968, in the, 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 the crucible of the Vietnam War, with a fairly liberal Supreme Court is that almost the apogee of free speech for students, which is political expression that's gonna get a lot of people mad, but unless you can show disruption, unless you can show that people are literally gonna sort of, you know, get, go fisticuffed about it, challenging ideas are challenging ideas. So the challenge with the case we now have before the Supreme Court in, in, in Mahanoy is what if speech off campus could potentially have a disruptive effect? And if so, how close must the connection be to the school? Is it enough to just rag about 
how much you hate school? Do you have to mention someone by name? Uh, does it, what if, what if you're sending it to kids on, on campus? What if you're trying to disrupt schools off campus? That's the, that's what the Supreme Court's going to grapple with in this case. What's your handicap on the decision? And by the way, do you know, do you have a sense of when they're going to take it up and I, actually I, talk about I, it? Well, they have not yet set it for oral argument. It's not fully briefed. Okay. But their term, as you know, ends in June. So carry it over as they do what they've done for some case in the COVID. We, can, we actually might expect a decision in this case by June. Hmm. If they carry it over as they did last year because the COVID is slowing things down, then we could expect a decision in the fall. It'll, it'll occur this year, though. Hmm. And given the leanings of the court now, my armchair <laughs> scholar uh, prediction is that they're going to probably side against the Third Circuit and against BL and with Maanoy. What's your thinking on that? I think the Third Circuit is going to be reversed. I think this particular court, given its conservative leanings and it's what it'll claim, however mock or not, it's horror at the F word and it's horror at this disruption of campus is going to is going to reject the notion that off campus speech is is uh, entitled to the same protection as as if they were uh, members of the adult community. I, I don't see that. I think the court's going to say if there's a demonstration that the off campus speech has a foreseeable effect on the campus, we can apply the same standard to off campus speech that the courts have applied now for decades to on-campus speech. And I think they're gonna highlight the fact that in a world of electronic communication and in a pandemic world where so many students aren't even on campus and going to school online, I think the Supreme Court's gonna say that that highlights the need for schools to be able to teach and control. The challenge to me, since I, and I, I'm fairly confident that's gonna happen, so I think it's not going to even be a 5-4 decision. I think it's going to be 6-3 or 7-2 at, at least. Oof. And overruling the Third Circuit. And then the question becomes, as it always does with Supreme Court cases, what is the what are the entrails? What's going to come out of the decision, yeah. right? So speaking of the entrails, what fallout will that have for student journalism? I think that student journalists who thought they had cover by doing an underground paper or thought they had cover by getting separate funding, which often, as you know, happens not infrequently in college, uh, or thought they had coverage even because of a statute like California statute. I think you're gonna find that uh, uh, if you have a school administrator like the principal in Hazelwood, who says, I just think that's just a little too much for high school students to read you're gonna get some restriction on content. And then, and then you know what's gonna happen? This is for you, Trip, to know. Then the conflict between advisors and administrators becomes great. Mm. And I think you're gonna get high, some high school principals who might be encouraged to establish principles of, of righteous journalism uh, and to avoid challenging topics. And you know, if we're gonna teach high school journalists anything, we're gonna teach them that you do have to comfort the afflicted, but you do have to afflict the comfortable. And when you find a story where someone's doing something wrong, at the high school level, we want to start training them. It's your job to out that matter, even mm. if it's going to make people feel uncomfortable. I or think make it's the school to, look bad. Or make the school look bad. And I think that's, you're absolutely right. And I think that um, this Supreme Court is too bad a student journalism case 
where a student free speech case is going up there right now. I have little doubt that Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have been in favor of free speech in this case. Hmm. Part of me thinks that if Brett Kavanaugh looks at his yearbook, that he might want to, you know, give a little latitude to young people who are saying things that are colorful, but no, well, I don't you think know, he'll you do know, that. I, that's a lovely thought, <laughs> uh, but I Wishful have to thinking. say, well, maybe, may, maybe not, but I'll tell you, I think it's probably more in the category of, uh, uh, I did some bad things before and I'm going to make sure we have rules that don't let that happen again yeah. versus kids will be kids. Well, I wish we could end on a happier note, but knowledge is power. And I really appreciate all that you've given us today. I think this will be really useful for students and advisors all over the country for years to come. My guest today has been law professor and First Amendment lawyer Jim Wagstaff. If you have comments or questions about student free expression, please contact us. Send us an email describing your situation or asking a question and we'll respond in a future episode. You can reach us at sprc at jea.org with the subject line podcast or tweet us at at jea press rights. So you don't miss out on future episodes, please subscribe to this podcast through any of the many podcast applications available for your computer or phone. Thanks for listening. And remember, student voices matter. Matter.